About four months ago, I received the assignment to serve in Bogota, Colombia, and moved there. One day, as I was trying to find a way to my new ward's meeting house, I stopped at the park to ask for directions. I could see many families enjoying a pleasant sunny morning. I stood there for a while, watching the children as they cheerfully played in the park. They had a special glow in their countenances. Their cheeks were flushed from the sun and from the effort they made to run and play together. They were all very friendly with each other. I could tell they were really having fun. As I watched them closely, I realized that more than having a fun time, those pure little children were truly happy. Later, as I was driving to the chapel, my thoughts went back to the time I was baptized in the church. An old friend of mine came to me and asked what I had found so different there. I answered, I have found true happiness, to which he replied, there is no such thing as true happiness, only happy moments. I understand that my good friend did not know the difference between fun and happiness. What he called happy moments were, in fact, the moments when he had fun. What he did not know then was that happiness is much more than just fun. Fun is just a fleeting moment, but happiness is a lasting thing. Many people in this world do not understand the difference between fun and happiness. Many try to find happiness having fun, but the two words have different meanings. I looked them up in the dictionary to find out what each of them meant. Fun is play, pleasure, gaiety, merriment, source of enjoyment, amusement, to behave playfully, playful, often noisy activity, and tease. Happiness is contentedness, joy, delight, satisfaction. I was taught, after becoming a member of the Church, that there is indeed a big difference between fun and happiness. I learned, even before my baptism, that the Lord has a plan of salvation for all His children. Through this plan, depending upon what we accomplish here on earth, we shall return to our Heavenly Father's presence and live with Him forever in a state of eternal happiness. Both fun and happiness are fine, but certainly happiness is the most worth seeking. Happiness can encompass fun as well, but fun alone will not assure us true happiness. In Luke chapter 15, we find the parable of the prodigal son. In this parable, the younger son asks the father to give him his share of the inheritance. The father does so, and this young man goes out into the world seeking what he believed to be true happiness. He starts to have fun, and for as long as he had money, he lived surrounded by many people who claimed to be his friends. When his fortune was totally wasted with all fun he had, with his so-called friends, all of them turned their backs on him, and he was left without a penny. He then goes through much suffering and disappointment. He starts working for a man, feeding swine, and starving. He tries to eat even the husks that the swine would eat. 
he thinks of his father's servants who had enough bread to eat and to spare, and he did not have anything to eat. He decides to return home to his father and ask him for a job as one of his hired servants. He returns repentant from all he did, and his father, a righteous man, greets him as a special son. He finally understands that the true happiness was there in that simple life with his family. All who seek full happiness can find it in the gospel of Jesus Christ talking his church. Through Christ's doctrine, we are taught that we can be part of the great plan of happiness that he has prepared for all of us, his sons and daughters. As we keep his commandments, we are blessed and come to know true happiness. We learn that happiness lies in doing small things that build us up, that increase our faith in testimony, small things we do in our everyday lives, such as we are happy as we pray every morning, every night, when we can feel that the Lord hears us and is always willing to bless, forgive, and help us. We are happy as we feel the promptings of the Holy Ghost in our lives, as we feel the Spirit when we have to make important life decisions. We are happy as we go home after a stressful and tiresome day at work to the arms of our families as they express love and appreciation for us. We are happy to talk to our children, to enjoy the family, to get together on family night. In short, we can feel happiness every day in our lives through little things we do, and we are fully happy as we keep the commandments of a loving God who cares about us. True happiness comes from keeping the commandments of God. We are taught in 2 Nephi 2.25 that Adam fell, that men might be, and men are, that they might have joy, or in other words, that they be happy. I have witnessed this happiness in the life of many members of the Church. Several weeks ago, I had the assignment to preside over a state conference in Cali, Colombia. I met a very special young man there who is a member of the Church and can well illustrate the meaning of true happiness. His name is Fabian. His family belongs to the Church, and he learned of the plan of happiness when he was just a little boy. In 1984, when he was three years old, Fabian and his family lived in a house close to a large and busy avenue. That avenue was a road for many city bus lines. One day, seeing the gate open, little Fabian trying to cross the avenue and got hit by a bus. Thanks to Heavenly Father's goodness, Fabian survived the accident. His parents took him to three different hospitals that indicated they could not treat him. They continued looking for help, and upon finding the proper medical assistance, the prognosis was not very good. After undergoing multiple surgeries, the doctors informed the family that the damage to his feet and legs was so extensive that to save him, they had to amputate his right legs, leg. Little Fabian started a different life then, without one of his legs. He slowly learned to control his body balance and to walk with the help of crutches. He went to school and had the support of his teachers and friends. Some people used to mock him, 
but he soon learned not to care about the jokes they played on him. He wanted to participate in all physical activities and did so frequently. Even though winning was very hard to come by, he was always brave and ready to participate. Fabian currently serves as a counselor in the Young Men Organization of his stake. He attends Institute of Religion classes and is active in the student body organization. He plays basketball and soccer. He also plays ping pong with his friends from the institute. He rides a bike and does everything a young man can do. He works as a volunteer teaching English at a foundation who cares for poor children. Fabian wants to serve his fellow men and God with all his strength. He has a smiling face and is always there to help someone in need. Fabian is truly a happy young man with an overwhelming strength which comes from his faith and trusting God, Fabian is a great example to the citizens of his hometown. His happiness comes from his striving to live worthily every day and to obey God's commandments. He reminds me of a scripture found in Mosiah 2.41. And moreover, I would desire that you should consider on the blessed and happy state of those that keep the commandments of God, for behold, they are blessed in all things, both temporal and spiritual. And if they hold out faithful to the end, they are received unto heaven, that thereby they may dwell with God in a state of never-ending happiness. Oh, remember, remember that these things are true, for the Lord God hath spoken it. Being obedient to God's commandments, we will live happily for all eternity, the Lord said in Alma 41.10 that wickedness never was happiness. As a servant of God and as a member of His Church, I invite you to be truly happy by giving heed to His counsels, by leaving His commandments, and by obeying the words of His living prophets. I know that one of the factors that greatly influences our happiness is listening to the counsel of the living prophets who teach us in this Church. I have a testimony that God lives, that Jesus is the Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. He gave His precious life for each one of us. I know that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God. This I know with all my heart. I know that the Book of Mormon is the Word of God and that it can lead us to the pathways of happiness. I know that President Gordon B. Hinckley is the prophet of God today and that he teaches us with love and patience how we can be happy in this life and in the life to come. These things are part of my testimony of the truth, and I share them with you, my brothers and sisters, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We should have concluded on that beautiful talk from Brother Hammond. What a wonderful conference this has been, my brothers and sisters. As we return to our homes and to our daily activities, each of us should be a better individual than we were when the conference opened. All who have spoken have done very well. The prayers have been inspirational. The music has been magnificent. But what matters most 
is what may have occurred within each of us as a result of our experience. I, for one, have made a stronger resolution within myself to be a better person than I have been in the past. I hope that I will be a little kinder to any I meet who may be in distress. I hope that I will be a little more helpful to those who are in need. I hope that I will be a little more worthy of your confidence. I hope that I will be a better husband, a better father and grandfather. I hope that I will be a better neighbor and friend. I hope that I will be a better Latter-day Saint with an increased understanding of the wonderful aspects of this glorious gospel. I challenge every one of you who can hear me to rise to the divinity within you. Do we really realize what it means to be a child of God, to have within us something of the divine nature? I believe with all my heart that the Latter-day Saints, generally speaking, are good people. If we live by the principles of the gospel, we must be good people, for we will be generous and kind, thoughtful and tolerant, helpful and outreaching to those in distress. We can either subdue the divine nature and hide it so that it finds no expression in our lives, or we can bring it to the front and let it shine through all that we do. There is improvement, room for improvement in every life, regardless of our occupations, regardless of our circumstances. We can improve ourselves and, while so doing, have an effect on the lives of those about us. We do not need to wear our religion on our sleeve. We certainly do not need to be boastful about it or to be arrogant in any way. Such becomes a negation of the spirit of the Christ whom we ought to try to emulate. That spirit finds expression in the heart and the soul, in the quiet and unboastful manner of our lives. All of us have seen those we almost envy because they have cultivated a manner that, without even mentioning it, speaks of the beauty of the gospel they have incorporated in their behavior. We can lower our voices a few decibels. We can return good for evil. We can smile when anger might be so much easier. We can exercise self-control and self-discipline and dismiss any affront levied against us. Let us be a happy people. The Lord's plan is a plan of happiness. The way will be lighter. The worries will be fewer. The confrontations will be less difficult if we cultivate a spirit of happiness. Let us work a little harder at the responsibility we have as parents. 
The home is the basic unit of society. The family is the basic organization of the Church. We are deeply concerned over the quality of the lives of our people as husbands and wives and as parents and children. There is too much of criticism and fault-finding with anger and raised voices. The pressures we feel each day are tremendous. Husbands come home from their employment each day, tired and short-tempered. Unfortunately, most of the wives work. They, too, face a serious challenge that may be more costly than it is worth. Children are left to seek their own entertainment, and much of it is not good. My brothers and sisters, we must work at our responsibility as parents. If everything in life counted on it, because, in fact, everything in life does count on it. If we fail in our homes, we fail in our lives. No man is truly successful who has failed in his home. I ask you men particularly to pause and take stock of yourselves as husbands and fathers and heads of households. Pray for guidance, for help, for direction, and then follow the whisperings of the Spirit to guide you in the most serious of all responsibility. For the consequences of your leadership in your home will be eternal and everlasting. God bless you, my beloved associates. May a spirit of peace and love attend you wherever you may be, May there be harmony in your lives. As I have said to our youth in many areas, be smart, be clean, be true, be grateful, be humble, be prayerful. May you kneel in prayer before the Almighty with thanksgiving unto Him for His bounteous blessings. May you then stand on your feet and go forward as sons and daughters of God to bring to pass His eternal purposes. Each in His own way is my humble prayer as I leave my love and blessing with you in the sacred name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. A short while ago, Elder Pace, Elder Condi, and I met with the First Presidency. As we entered the room, President Hinckley looked carefully at us and then, with a smile on his face, said, How can three white-headed old men be the young men presidency of this Church? <laughs> Our only response was, Because you called us to be president. <laughs> young men, we hope that you are excited about the Aaronic Priesthood fulfilling our Duty to God program. It has been introduced to all of the Aaronic Priesthood throughout the world. It is designed to bless you spiritually, physically, socially, and mentally. The requirements are meaningful 
and will stretch you almost to the limits of your capability. You will be able to establish personal goals and achieve them with the help of your parents and your great leaders. There is a wonderful excitement associated with this program all over the Church. We want every one of you to qualify and receive the coveted Duty to God Award. Many years ago, I took our only son on his first camping fishing trip. He was just a boy. The canyon was steep and the descent was difficult, but the fishing was good. Every time I hooked a fish, I would give the pole to the eager boy, and with shouts of joy, he would reel in a beautiful trout. In the shadows and coolness of the late afternoon, we began our climb back up to the rim high above us. He scrambled rapidly up the mountain ahead of me with a challenging, Come on, Dad, I'll bet I can beat you to the top. The challenge was heard but wisely ignored. <laughs> His small frame seemed literally to fly over, under, and around every obstacle. And when every step that I took seemed ridiculously like my last, he had reached the top and stood cheering me on. After supper, we knelt in prayer. His small voice rose sweetly heavenward in benediction to our day. Then we climbed into our large double sleeping bag, and after a bit of pushing and pulling, I felt his little body snuggle and settle tightly against mine for warmth and security against the night. As I looked at my son beside me, suddenly I felt a surge of love pass through my body with such force that it pushed tears to my eyes. And at that precise moment, he put his little arms around me and said, Dad? Yes, son. Are you awake? Yes, my son. I am awake. Dad, I love you a million trillion times. And immediately he was asleep. But I was awake far into the night expressing my great thanks for such wonderful blessings clothed with a little boy's body. Now my son is a man with a son of his own. Once in a while, the three of us go fishing. I look at my little red-headed grandson beside his father, and I see in my mind's eye the image of that wonderful moment long ago. The question so innocently asked, Dad, are you awake, still rings in my heart. To every father I pose the same penetrating question, Dad, are you awake? Do your sons ever wonder if you are asleep when it comes to the things that are most important to them? I would suggest that there are several areas that would indicate whether we are awake or asleep in the eyes of our sons. First, 
our love for God and accepting our role as the family leader in keeping His commandments. Some years ago, following a state conference, I felt impressed to pay a visit to a priesthood brother who had fallen away from the Church. We found him working in his garden. I approached him and said, Dear brother, the Lord Jesus Christ has sent me to see you. I am Elder Hammond, one of his servants. We exchanged a Latin abrazo and entered into his lovely little home. He called for his wife and three children to join us, two handsome young men and a beautiful girl sat beside their father and mother. I asked the children what they would like more than anything else in the world right now. The oldest son spoke. If only all of us could go back to church as a family, we would be so happy, so grateful. We told them how much they were needed by the Savior and how He loved them. We bore our testimonies to them and then knelt in prayer. The father prayed. The mother wept. They are now back in full fellowship. The children are proud of their father, and they are happy. Every father in the Church should function as the patriarch of his home. He should take the lead in spiritually guiding the family. He ought not to delegate nor abrogate his responsibilities to the mother. He should call for family prayer, family home evening, scripture reading, and occasional father interviews. He is the protector, the defender, and the kindly source of discipline. It is the Father who should lead, unify, and solidify the family unit by accepting the priesthood of God and responding to the calls and privileges associated with priesthood authority. His relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, is one of the beacons which will lead His sons and daughters through the stormy shoals of life. If Dad is a true disciple of Jesus Christ, then the sons will follow Him as the night the day. Dad, are you awake? Second, the relationship we have with our wives, their mothers. Considering everything else that we do, the way we treat our wives could well have the greatest impact on the character of our sons. If a father is guilty of inflicting verbal or physical abuse in any degree on his companion, his sons will resent him for it, perhaps even despise him for it. But interestingly enough, when they are grown and marry, they are likely to follow the same pattern of abuse with their wives. There is an urgent need in our society for fathers who respect their wives and treat them with sweet, tender love. Recently, I heard of a father who foolishly 
called his beautiful, intelligent wife stupid and dumb in a most degrading manner for some small mistake that she had innocently made. The children listened, embarrassed and frightened for their mother. She was belittled in front of those that she loved most. Although an apology and forgiveness were expressed, there still remained the hurt and shame of a senseless moment. The Spirit of the Lord cannot be expected to bless our lives if we persist in being angry, callous, and cruel to our mates. We cannot expect our sons to develop respect and gentleness toward their mothers if we do not preside the proper example. President David O. McKay said, The most important thing a father can do for his children is to love their mother. Dad, are you awake? Third, to provide discipline that is just and administered with love. Too often out of our own frustration and weakness, we raise our hands to strike our children, usually in an attempt to protect our own selfish pride. Every child needs to be disciplined. Not only do they need it, they expect it. They want it. Discipline gives direction and teaches self-control. But in all discipline, there should be a sense of righteous judgment and pure love. When I was a little boy, my widowed mother gave me the most severe discipline possible. She said with tears in her eyes, My son, I am so disappointed in you. The pain in my heart was more than I could bear. A thousand lashes could not have cut me so deeply. I knew that such a rebuke could only have been made to me out of her pure love. For if there was one thing that I was certain of, it was that my mother loved me. I resolved never again to be subject to the disappointment and the broken heart of an angel mother. I believe that I have succeeded in that resolve. When it comes to discipline, Dad, are you awake? Dads, it is imperative that the challenges I have mentioned be mastered in our lives. If our sons are to be spiritually and emotionally mature, if we do, then they will not be ashamed of us, nor will they ever be ashamed of themselves. They will become men of honor, respect, full of love, willing to submit and serve the Savior then we will rejoice in the fact that they are ours forever. They will say, Dad, are you awake? And we will respond, Yes, my son.
I am awake. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. As we meet with members of the Church around the world, one challenge seems universal, having enough time to do everything that needs doing. Among those who have few resources, the need is for more time to secure the necessities of life. Among those who have sufficient, the need is for more time to attend to the niceties of life. The challenge is daunting because time is fixed. Man can neither lengthen out the day nor extend the year. The world is the culprit. As the world grapples with more efficient ways of managing time, it lures us into more and more earthly pursuits. But life is not a struggle with time. It is a struggle between good and evil. What to do about all this can be one of the more vexing decisions in life. In 1872, the Prophet Brigham Young counseled the Saints on this very subject. Said he, Stop, wait, when you get up in the morning, before you suffer yourselves to eat one mouthful of food, bow down before the Lord and ask Him to forgive your sins and protect you through the day, to preserve you from temptation and all evil, to guide your steps aright, that you may do something that day that shall be beneficial to the kingdom of God on the earth. Have you time to do this? He continued. This is the counsel I have for the Latter-day Saints today. Stop. Do not be in a hurry. You are in too much of a hurry. You do not go to meeting enough. You do not pray enough. You do not read the scriptures enough. You do not meditate enough. You are all the time on the wing and in such a hurry that you do not know what to do first. Let me reduce this to a simple saying, one of the most simple and homely that can be used. Keep your dish right side up, so that when the shower of porridge does come, you can catch your dish full." Close quote. Use the gospel plan to set proper priorities. The Lord instructed, Wherefore, seek not the things of this world, but seek ye first to build up the kingdom of God, or Zion, and to establish His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. As a young boy growing up in southern Utah, the concepts of Zion were much less clear to me than they are today. We lived in a small town not far from Zion National Park. In church, we often sang the familiar words, Israel, Israel, God is calling, calling thee from lands of woe. Babylon the great is falling, God shall all her towers o'erthrow. Come to Zion, come to Zion, ere his floods of anger flow. Come to Zion, come to Zion, ere his floods of anger flow. In my little boy mind, I saw the magnificent cliffs and towering stone pinnacles of that national park. Meandering through the high-walled canyons flowed a river of water, sometimes placid, sometimes a raging torrent. You can probably imagine the confusion experienced as this little boy tried to put together the words of the hymn with the familiar surroundings of that beautiful park. Though it was not a perfect fit, in my mind was the impression that Zion was something majestic and divine. Over the years, a grander understanding has emerged. In the scriptures we read, Therefore, verily, thus saith the Lord, let Zion rejoice, for this is Zion, the pure in heart. 
The establishment of Zion should be the aim of every member of this Church. It can be safely said, as we seek with all our hearts to bring forth and establish Zion, the vexations of too little time will disappear. There are joys and blessings by enlisting in this noble cause. One's personal life is transformed. The home is no longer a hotel, but a place of peace, security, and love. Society itself changes. In Zion, contentions and disputations cease. Class distinctions and hatreds disappear. No one is poor, spiritually or temporally, and all manner of wickedness is no more. As many have attested, surely there could not be a happier people among all the people created by the hand of God. The ancient prophet Enoch labored many years to bring his people to this state of righteousness. Like our day, they also lived in a time of wickedness, wars, and bloodshed. But the righteous people responded, and the Lord called his people Zion because they were of one heart and one mind and dwelt in righteousness, and there was no poor among them. Take special note of the word because in this scripture. Zion is established and flourishes because of the God-inspired lives and labors of its citizens. Zion does not come as a gift, but because virtuous covenant people are drawn together and build it. President Spencer W. Kimball observed, As we sing together, Come to Zion, we mean come to the ward, the branch, the mission, the stake, and give assistance to build up Zion. Thus gathered in the Lord's appointed way, Latter-day Saints conscientiously strive to bring forth Zion as the kingdom of our God and His Christ, preparatory to the Lord's second coming. President Hinckley has reminded us that this cause in which we are engaged is not an ordinary cause. It is the cause of Christ. It is the kingdom of God, our eternal Father. It is the building of Zion on the earth. If we are to build that Zion of which the prophets have spoken and of which the Lord has given mighty promise, we must set aside our consuming selfishness. We must rise above our love for comfort and ease, and in the very process of effort and struggle, even in our extremity, we shall become better acquainted with our God. Among the doctrines that give rise to this highest order of priesthood society are love, service, work, self-reliance, consecration, and stewardship. To better understand how we can build Zion on these foundational truths, let us consider four of them. The first is love. Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. To love God more than anything else impels us to take control of our priorities and order our lives so as to be in accord with Him. We come to love all of God's creations, including our fellow man. Placing God first in all things kindles greater love and devotion between husband and wife, parents and children. In Zion we find every man seeking the interest of his neighbor and doing all things with an eye single to the glory of God. Next is work. Work is physical, mental, or spiritual effort. 
the Lord commanded, By the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Work is the source of happiness, self-esteem, and prosperity. In the economy of God, there is no room for chicanery and greed. Work is to be honest toil with this overarching divine purpose. The laborer in Zion shall labor for Zion, for if they labor for money, they shall perish. Self-reliance comes next. It is the harbinger of personal agency and security. This Church and its people are commanded by the Lord to be prepared, self-reliant, and independent. Times of plenty are times to live providently and lay up in store. Times of scarcity are times to live frugally and draw on those stores. No true Latter-day Saint, while physically or emotionally able, will voluntarily shift the burden of his own or his family's well-being to someone else. So long as he can, under the inspiration of the Lord and with his own labors, he will supply himself and his family with the spiritual and temporal necessities of life. We are sons and daughters of God and truly dependent upon Him for all that we have. If we keep His commandments, He will never forsake us. But Heavenly Father does not do for us what we can and should do for ourselves. He expects us to use the means we receive of Him to care for ourselves and our families. When we do so, we are self-reliant. Lastly, consecration. The covenant of consecration encompasses sacrifice, circumscribes love, work, and self-reliance, and is fundamental to the establishment of God's kingdom. Zion cannot be built up, the Lord said, unless it is by the principles of the law of the celestial kingdom. The covenant of consecration is central to this law. We shall one day apply it in its fullness. This covenant embraces the giving of one's time, talents, and means to care for those in need, whether spiritually or temporally, and in building the Lord's kingdom. These principles of love, work, self-reliance, and consecration are God-given. Those who embrace them and govern themselves accordingly become pure in heart. Righteous unity is the hallmark of their society. Their peace and harmony become an ensign to the nations, said the Prophet Joseph Smith. The building up of Zion is a cause that has interested the people of God in every age. It is a theme upon which prophets, priests, and kings have dwelt with peculiar delight. It is left for us to see, participate in, and help roll forward the latter-day glory of Zion, a work that is destined to bring about the destruction of the powers of darkness, the renovation of the earth, the glory of God, and the salvation of the human family. I bear witness that these things are true. President Gordon B. Hinckley is God's prophet on the earth, as was Joseph Smith, Jr. The kingdom of God is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and will become Zion in all her beauty. Christ is the Savior of the world, the beloved Son of the living God, the Holy One. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.